Good to see everybody. Uh, I'm Nathan, one of the pastors here. I'm the Bel Air campus pastor, and it's just uh, it's good, always good to be together. Before we dive into today's topic, I have the uh, the privilege of kind of priming the pump for something really, really cool that we're about to launch into. Uh, it would be safe to say this is the biggest thing Mountain's ever done in our 192-year history, and some of you haven't heard about it at all. Some of you have started to hear a little bit about it. It's called Unleash Love, and take a look at this little video. You know, the Bible often invites us to look backward in history at some amazing people that have lived these incredible lives of tremendous faith in God. People like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, and others. And you know, Mountain's got our own history like that. People who have gone before us and taken steps of faith in their own walk with God, and who by God's grace have helped make Mountain what it is today. But friends, this is our time. The track is before us. The gates are open. We've been so loved by God, and it's our time now to unleash love. I hope that begins to, to grow some excitement, some anticipation in you. You, you are not going to want to miss out on all the things that we're going to be doing together as a part of this. We're going to unleash love here and there and everywhere, and so stay tuned. You're going to be hearing a lot more about that. But today, we're going to continue in our series, which we're calling God's Frat Party. So welcome. Welcome to Kappa Delta Pi. Good. Glad you're here. Um, I want to start by explaining something to y'all. Okay, so I, I hate to tuck my shirt in. I just feel like it restricts me, okay? But I know that it looks nicer to tuck your shirt in, so I often do what is known as the frat boy front tuck, Okay. <laughs> I just tuck it in in the front a little bit right here. It looks a little nicer, but I still can move, you know. It's kind of like business in the front, party in the back. It's like a mullet for your shirt, which probably means it just looks dumb, but whatever. So we're talking about God's frat party. What we're saying is, you know, fraternity is, a, is an association based on a sense of brotherhood. It's a group of people with common interests and purposes. And that's a good way to begin talking about what we are at Mountain and what the Big C Church is. It's a place where everyone is welcome, and specifically it's a place that is centered and built around the person and the teachings of Jesus. And so we believe that if you are walking with Jesus and following him, then there's going to be evidence of that in your life. And we like to some, sort of sum that up sometimes uh, by saying that there's these three Greek words from the Bible that are still very relevant to us today uh, that will kind of show that evidence of Jesus in your life. So one of them we talked about last week koinonia, deep fellowship, loving people, loving each other, reaching out, getting in circles and not just coming and sitting in a row. Um, we, uh, next week, we're going to talk about the pi stands for proskuneo, which means worship. And we're going to talk about what it means to love God as, as a group, as individuals. But today, 
we got the delta right here in the middle, and it stands for the word doulos. Turn to your neighbor and say doulos. Okay, it's fun to say, right? Doulos is a simple word. It just means slave or servant. It's a word that occurs about 130 times in the New Testament. So um, we're going to talk about that today. When you think about slavery in this country, our minds usually immediately go to the kind of slavery that existed here in colonial times. It was an awful, horrible, a brutal thing. It was based off of racism, and it was something that there was kind of no hope of ever getting out of if you were in it, and it was just a terrible thing. In the ancient world, while some of those similar situations did exist, uh, it was also very different in many ways. So we have to do a little background to talk about the kind of slavery that lies behind these texts when we read this word in the Bible. In ancient Greek and Roman society, it was very common. There were many, many slaves in cities like Rome or Antioch or Ephesus or Corinth. Sometimes at least probably 30%, sometimes up to 60% of the people in those cities were slaves. You could become a slave three different ways. You were maybe captured like in a battle or kidnapped by pirates into slavery. You could, you could be born into it, so the children of slaves became slaves themselves. Or, and this may surprise you, the most common way that people became slaves was actually they would, they would volunteer, they would sell themselves into it. They would choose to become slaves. It sounds crazy to our modern ears, but often it was the best option for people. If they, if they were facing poverty and didn't know how to get out of it, it was a way to find a more secure situation where there was provision and housing steady employment, a chance to get an education. You could even climb socially as a slave. It was kind of like an occupation more than, it wasn't about race. It was not even so much about class. uh, And it had an end date on it. So under Roman law, usually slaves were set free when they turned 30. So you didn't stay a slave forever. It was basically, think of it like this, wherever you work, it was like being an intern there, but like a lot longer, like 30 to 90 times longer but maybe with better benefits. So that's supposed to be funny. That was kind of funny. So you couldn't uh, necessarily tell if someone was a slave by just looking at them, right? You, You look at somebody, you couldn't tell necessarily by their race, their clothes, their friends, even their job. Slaves, yes, often did the, the dirty work, you know, the, the kind of the unglorious jobs, but they also had, uh, other jobs. They, They were cooks, they were delivery people, they were street pavers, they were tutors, doctors, nurses, teachers, managers, shopkeepers, ship pilots. They could be administrators of city funds. Some were executives with decision-making powers. Many of the leading intellectuals were actually slaves. So what happened was a lot of people who did not have Roman citizenship and, and wanted the privileges that came with that, they would sell themselves as slaves to a Roman citizen and then knowing that one day when they were freed they would get their Roman citizenship upon being freed. And that just reminds me, by the way, a little bit of an aside, that there are a lot of people, and some of whom are my friends, who would risk everything, who would leave behind everything that was familiar and dear to them, who would, who would go to a foreign place and do things like cut your grass and cook your food so that one day they, or maybe at least their children, could have all the privileges that come with citizenship in this country. So... Back in the day, if you had a ton of debt or you had a bad situation, uh, if you needed some security, some job security, or if you just really wanted that Roman citizenship, you might reasonably choose to make a personal decision to become a slave. 
Now, there was obviously a downside. You were giving up freedoms. You were giving up rights. Couldn't get legally married. Couldn't represent yourself in court. Couldn't inherit property because you were, you were sort of saying, I, I am becoming property. Right? You were looked at as someone's property. And your whole purpose then was to serve the needs of your master. And there were sort of good situations and there were bad situations. And it really all depended on who was your master whether or not they were generous and kind and fair or they were bad and evil and mean. So that is the system that serves as a backdrop as we talk about this word doulos, which appears, again, many times in the scriptures. We pre- when we preach the gospel message, a lot of times we, we focus in on, on forgiveness and freedom and the abundant life that we're promised in Christ here and now and the eternal life we're promised in the future. And that is all true, but there's another part of this that we have to hear. Scripture says it over and over. In order to receive these things, we have to make a similar decision on a spiritual level to what some folks made in the, in the ancient world. We have to decide to hand ourselves over into slavery to God. Hear these words from Romans chapter 6 where this, um, this word, doulos, is used over and over and over in just a few verses. Paul, was, he just got done writing and talking about how we were dead to sin and that now we, we can be alive in Christ, right? And so he says this, what then? Should we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? No. He says, don't, don't y'all know, and all these yous are plural. I'm not going to say y'all every time, but it, just hear it, okay? I don't want you to be distracted, but these are all you plurals. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? You are slaves of the one you obey. Whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your hearts the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You've been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Skip down to verse 22. It says, now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we are called and commanded here and in other places in the scriptures, to renounce our slavery to other people and other things and to sign up voluntarily for slavery to God. So as we talk about that today, I just want to mention three things. This may be new to you. It may be just a good reminder. The first thing I want to say is that everyone has a master. Every one of us. In the words of the great theologian Bob Dylan everybody's going to serve somebody. He said, you, you may be an ambassador to England or France. You may like to gamble. You may like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with long strings of pearls. You may be a state trooper. You might be a young Turk. You might be the head of a big TV network, rich or poor, blind or lame, living in a country under another name. He goes on and on, but he says, you're going to have to serve somebody. You're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil, it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. And Bob Dylan and I believe that this is true about every human being, that we all serve some master or masters. 
And you and I are blessed with the freedom to choose. Now, there are some actual literal slaves still in the world. I think a lot of Americans think this is an issue that's over and done with. Take a guess in your head right now how many actual slaves, many of them in the sex trade, many of them children, how many slaves exist in the world right now? Think about it. The answer is 45 million, more than 45 million. So I just couldn't preach this message about this word without at least mentioning that. And I thank God for organizations like International Justice Mission and the church and others all around the world who are working to free slaves every day. But in a spiritual sense, we get to choose our master. And uh, you can choose a person. I think some people live sort of almost in idolatry of another person or group of people. Maybe, you, you know, some people are slaves to a particular ideology or a particular, let's say, political party as we approach a presidential election. You know, if you are just so, if you're so kind of blindly loyal to a party, if you, can, if you can't really ask questions like, you know, what is it, what part of my party's or my group's stance actually really troubles me? Or what is it about the opposition's position that actually does attract me and interest me? If you can't even ask those questions and have those conversations, you might be a slave. Some people choose money or success or prestige or some kind of perceived sense of control over their life as their master. And, and really, whatever is motivating all of your decisions, that's your master. Some people choose pleasure and just self you know, just, but you, and you say, wait, isn't that doing what I want when I want? Isn't that freedom? Isn't that a definition of freedom? And I would just say, no, not according to Bible, not according to what I have observed in this life. You know, if you're a slave to your own desires and emotions and thoughts and ideas and whims, I, I could point you to a lot of people sitting right here with you today that would say, that's not freedom because that leads to addiction. That leads to all kinds of pain that you're not ready for. So there's this other alternative for us, offered to us in the Christian story, which says you can offer yourself as a slave and a servant. You can give your total allegiance to the one who actually deserves it, which is God who created you. Jesus, the one we call Lord. 1 Corinthians 7, 23, looking back through the lens of the cross and the resurrection, says this, you know, y'all were bought with a price. So do not become slaves of human beings. Don't become slaves, you know, of your own sinful desires. What you got to do is pledge your life to God. So I want to I want you to seriously ask yourself and think about this question today and in the days to come. Who ask yourself this, who is the true leader of my life? We live in a, a culture that's fairly obsessed with the topic of leadership. Uh, There are so many words written and posted and spoken and conferences and books and everything about it. And I get it. It's important. I participate in some of that. Leadership is a really important topic. But there's this other question, this other uh, topic that gets way less play. It doesn't sell books quite as well, but it's probably more important. And that's the question of this. Who, Who am I following? You know, we think about what kind of leader am I? What about this? What kind of follower am I? And ironically, there, there is just such great freedom in just being able to answer that question very simply with just a clear answer. Just say, you know, it's Jesus. For me, the leader of my life is Jesus. That's who I'm following. 
Y'all know Ben Kacharis? Our, our, his title is our lead pastor, okay? I love him. I would follow him into battle. I respect him so much. In spite of his strange, irrational fear of kitty cats, I, I just, he's a, you know he's a great and gifted leader, right? Now, that is not why I'm a member of this church or a member of this staff. The reason I follow and submit to Ben's leadership and our elders and others It's not because of his gifts. It's because I know who he follows. It's because of the type of follower he is. It's because I know where we're headed. I I know that this church is Jesus' church. It's about him and other people and not about some leader. So no matter how great or charismatic a leader is, at the end of the day, you have to ask questions of them like this. You know, yeah, but who's actually, he's leading us, she's leading us, but who's actually leading him or her? Where is he getting his cues from? Who's actually setting her agenda? Because everybody has a master. Everybody. On the flip side, the people that I lead and influence, the most focused example of that for me is my two daughters. You know, I want them to be great leaders. I want to teach them that stuff. But more importantly, I want to instill in them how to choose who to follow how to be a great follower and follow the right leadership because <clears throat> you know that's going to that's going to determine what kind of leaders they become and where they lead people and so ultimately I want my life to point everybody toward Jesus because I believe he's the one who actually is leading somewhere good who actually knows he he doesn't just know the way he actually said I am the way way back in the old testament Joshua Uh, Chapter 24, the people of Israel had been freed from slavery in Egypt and they wandered in the desert and now they were finally about to enter into the promised land. And Joshua challenged them with these words which are um, still amazingly relevant for you and I today, for you and me today. Thousands of years later, he just looked at them and he said this, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. He said, you know, these little idols that you're carrying around, they got no power. He's like, you can serve them if you want. So you can serve the false gods of, of your ancestors. You know, you can just do live life and set your priorities how your friends and family have always told you to. You can serve the false gods of this region we find ourselves in and just do what culture and what, you know, what everybody else tells you to do. Or, he said, you can serve God. And he says... It's up to you. You get to choose. But as for me and my house, he says, as for me and anybody who's going to kind of roll with me, anybody who's going to follow under my influence, we will serve the, the one true God. And so I've got two, two other points in my sermon today, okay? But for some of you, the message just needs to stop and end right here. It is time to choose. Choose this day. What better day than today? Whom you will serve. Who is your master? Who or what is your Lord? Who's the true leader and authority over your life? Is it you? Is it someone or something else? Or is it God? And if your heart is burning as you think about that. Maybe you just need to tune me out the rest of the time and just wrestle with God right now because that is a huge and important question. In the scientific community, delta is a symbol for change. Maybe today 
is the day you need to make a really important and eternally significant change. You need to change masters in your life. You need to declare a new Lord. You need to shift your ultimate allegiance. And perfect timing today, you can then proclaim it in baptism if, you want, if you're ready to take that step. Second thing I would say today about the word doulos is this. A slave does stuff for his or her master. A slave works. A slave works hard. Nobody ever went to the trouble of capturing a bunch of slaves and just putting them, putting them over there and saying, oh, look at, look at all my adorable slaves. You guys just, you all just chill. You're good. Slaves work and they do the work of their master. Uh, okay. So we've all done this. You meet somebody new and one of those kind of icebreaker questions that you ask people or they ask you, you just, you meet somebody and say, Hey, so what do you do? Right? Reminds me of one of my favorite commercials. Check it out. The Johnsons, right? Yeah. Which house is yours? The one with the Silverado out front. So, what do you do? Well, uh. Nice. And Bingo was his name. I. For those who live life for a living, the 2012 Chevy Silverado, from the worksite to the home front, Chevy runs deep. I love that. A uh, little brand placement for Chevy there. If anybody wants to send me a free truck, go for it. Uh, what do you do? The answer to that question is about a lot more than your job, right? Whatever, wherever, you know, you get a paycheck. What you do for a living is, what your job is, is a hugely important thing, right? There are certain jobs that just cannot align with being a follower of Jesus, right? You can't say, yeah, I'm a, I'm a do lost for Christ. I'm a Christian guy, and I, I, yeah, I run the local uh, pornography shop, you know? You can't do that. You can't say, yeah, I'm a follower of Christ. I, I'm a heroin dealer for my paid job, but I follow Jesus. That, that, they don't overlap. You can't work for the New York Yankees, you know, and still be a... <laughs> Stuff like that, you know? So um, there's a lot of other kind of gray areas, right? If you were, I, I think about my friends that work in like sales and marketing, and if you're, you can do those things in amazing, wonderful, God-honoring ways, or sometimes you can, if you know you're doing something, you're selling something to people that is not good for them, that they don't need, that's, you know, unfairly priced or whatever, that doesn't, that doesn't work, right? You got to figure that stuff out. But most of the time, and most of our occupations we can do those in a way that honors God, or we can do those in a way that serves some other master, okay? And so, no matter what your job is or your jobs are, whether you're at home or at school or at the office or out in public, at the store, at the ball game, whatever it is, a slave does the work of his or her master. It's what you do. So if your master is money, all your interactions, you're at your kid's soccer game, you're at church, you're, you're thinking in such a way as like, how can this lead to me making more money? If, you're, if your master is your own ego, then you're always doing things and making decisions that point toward more applause and more kind of, you know, spotlight for you. But if you are a do loss of Jesus, it's pretty simple. You do the stuff Jesus did, you do the stuff Jesus said to do, and you try to do it the way that he said to do it and the way he did it. Mark chapter 10, there's a great scripture. The disciples are arguing over status and, and who gets the title, and it's this petty stuff. And Jesus, he pulls them aside. 
says this, Jesus called them together and said, you, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. Their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must become your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be a slave, a doulos of all. Or even the Son of Man, he's talking about himself, did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus was the model doulos. So we look at, like, we say, well, what did he do then? And I hope you'll study this for yourself. Just go read Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Read the stories of Jesus. Notice what he did. What did he do? He welcomed everybody. He loved people. He had a special place in his heart. for. He loved kids. He prayed. He studied the scriptures. He taught. He healed. He sacrificed for others. He defended those who were oppressed. And then in addition to the things he did, there were some things he specifically told us to go do, his followers. He said, go into all the world. He said, make disciples of all nations. The Greek word for nation there is ethne, as in ethnicity. He said, teach them to obey, baptize them, pray, stay connected with God. So again, if he's the boss, the Lord, the master, then we do the stuff he, t- he told us to do, Right? So when we talk about uh, serving the world around here, we, a lot of times we like to just say we get down and we get going. And this is the get going part. And part of my job standing up here talking to all of you together is to remind you of some of the ways you can do that in and through the work of this church. Second Saturday serve. Show up. There'll be a project ready made for you to do on a second Saturday. Go on a go trip, a mission trip. You can build a house, dig a well, hand out some uh, boxes of hope, teach some kids, do something in a place outside your comfort zone of great need. You know, you can be on a setup team or a teardown team or a chair team. If you're enjoying that comfy seat in that nice straight row, and if you liked how your communion elements just magically showed up right in front of you today, some people made that happen by serving. You know, you can get in a group. You heard our host already mention it today, wherever you're at, whichever campus. Um, you're like, come on, what, wasn't the group message last week? Well, the group message is every week at Mountain. Okay, and I want this to be the service where most of you, if not all of you, fill this thing out. There's different options. I'm interested in a group. I I would like to host. I'm already in a group, whatever. Like, see, a lot of times what I think a lot of us in this community need to do to serve is to open up, is to share our story, is to be vulnerable. Sometimes it's easy to go swing a hammer and never get involved with other people on a deep level. Some of y'all need to step up to lead and serve. Unleash Love is going to give lots of opportunities for that. You know, you need to know what's going on. Maybe you saw the, the um, video about the uh, marriage conference that's coming up, Beyond Ordinary, October 21 and 22. Maybe you need to help push somebody toward that, invite them, make it easier for them to, to be a part of that. Go be a part of it yourself. Maybe you need to shift your service and your campus Okay, this service is one of the ones that is always packed. We always need more seats for new people. And, you know, all y'all people who drive right past the John Carroll School to come over here to Mountain Road, I know who you are, okay? (laughs) And I love you. I still love you. But listen, I wonder why we have to come back around every six months on bended knee to people that come to this campus and these services and be like, you know, could you please make room for people who otherwise won't come to church? I mean, are you a do-loss or not? Plus, it's not like a big sacrifice. We have fun over there, I'm telling you. <laughs> I, uh, somebody recently heard, found out I was a pastor, and they were like, <laughs> their, 
their immediate reaction, I thought this was interesting, they were like, oh, I bet you get an awesome parking space at church. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, I said, well, actually, I go to a church, I'm a part of a church, where the leaders and the pastors and the staff, we park the furthest away of anybody. Because we're trying to create a do-loss kind of culture. So maybe you need to step up and, or, and sing or teach or hold a baby or, or whatever it is. The list goes on. This is not me begging you to do this. This is me offering you an opportunity to do what you were created to do as a part of this community. It's a privilege and it's our purpose. And by the way, it, as we always say, it's equally important to do this outside of the auspices of Mountain Christian Church. Go to, go to our website uh, slash glocal. Okay, global and local, global, and look at the list of all of our awesome community partners and just call one of them, get involved, or find someone else. Find people who are doing Jesus things, do them, get, get involved and do it with them. Help them. Find that intersection of your passion and your gifts and the world's needs and dive in. This is a, I wrote this myself, you can tweet it, okay? You can't spell do loss without do. That's good, right? I'm also the author of this one, You Can't Spell Funeral Without Fun, but that's another sermon for another day. So sometimes, sometimes we talk about the tithe, right? Giving some of your money right off the top, first fruits, giving it to God. And if you're not doing that, you need to be challenged. I'm challenging you to do that because remember, it's not yours. It all belongs to the master anyway. But, you know, I think a lot of us, I think a lot of y'all, Listening to me right now, you need to think about tithing your time. Sometimes it's easy to write a check, but when you start get, if people start asking you to give some time and energy, that's when you really come face to face with this question of oh, who's my master. So maybe you need to, just like we try to do with our money, you need to start giving a certain chunk of your time and energy right off the top in a regular, committed, ongoing way to doing the master's work. Ephesians 2.10 says we are God's workmanship. The Greek word there is poema, like poem. We're this beautiful creation. And it says we're created with the purpose of doing good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. I brought a friend with me today. This is a donkey, okay? Um, uh, we spent some, we lived in Mexico for a while. A donkey is what a lot of, some people think of when they think of Mexico. One of those symbols, there's a lot of donkeys, there's a lot of farms, um, and so, interestingly, uh, interestingly enough, donkeys came over from Spain. And interestingly enough, there are, barely, there are hardly any donkeys left now in Spain. Because what happened was, as the Spanish economy went from agrarian to more industrialized, uh, the donkeys didn't have work to do, and, and a donkey that doesn't have work to do dies. They just died out. Because they didn't have hard, good hard work to do. It's what they're created to do. Now, I thought about y'all. Y'all remind me. We <laughs> we are like donkeys. Okay? Because listen, in a spiritual sense, that happens to us. If we do not, if we are not about the work of God, if we're not doing what do losses do, we die. Maybe not physically, but we spiritually wither and die. And so, you know, maybe you've always heard it's bad to go around being a jackass, but here's the preacher telling you to go out there and do it more. I'm going to get in trouble for that. (laughs) Here's the next thing I want to say. 
Third thing for the day, being a doulos for God is less about a, a list of activities. It's more about a stance. It's a disposition and an orientation. Um, a lot of times when we talk about serving the world, we immediately lean into that get-going piece. And it makes sense. There are so many great needs all around us. We need to mobilize. We need to step in and step up. But, you know, before we get going, we do have to get down. I'm not talking about dancing. Some of y'all, though, can serve the world in that way. You need to cut loose a little bit more, quit worrying about what everybody thinks, and just worship God. Some of y'all, on the other hand, need to serve the world by never dancing in public. But you know what I mean. We, we say get down. We're talking about humility. We're talking about a stance and, uh, and, a, and a way of being and a readiness to feel compassion, to see needs around you, and to, to pitch in and serve and help respond to those needs. Maybe do loss actually doesn't begin with do. Maybe it begins with be. Because like we talk, around, uh, talk about around here a lot, our doing just flows out of our being. And so... Half the time I think in like I think in sports analogies. So I was just thinking about what if you're playing baseball or softball, okay, and you're getting ready to hit, and you're in the batter's box, and you're like stand there like this, you know, you don't even have the bat on your shoulder, you're not even looking. What's going to happen when the pitch comes? You're going to miss that opportunity. You got to you got to get in a stance. You got to get ready, right? You need elbow back, all right, eyes forward, legs bent. You got to be ready. I was thinking if you're playing basketball or playing defense or you're playing goalie in soccer and you're just standing there, you know, you're picking flowers, you got your hands in your pocket. What's going to happen when, when the offense comes at you? You're not going to respond well to that attack. You got to get down. You got you to be on your toes, not back on your heels. You got to have your hands ready. You got to have your eyes forward. And I just think that's a good analogy for, in a spiritual sense, how we should be if we're going to be do-loss kind of people, it is, a, it is an, a life lived in a spiritual ready stance where you're ready to serve, where you're down, where you're, where you're humble. And our model is Jesus. There are some classic texts on this topic. I'm just going to read a couple of them real quick. In Philippians chapter 2, it says this, in, in your relationship with one another, have the mindset, the disposition, the worldview, the way of thinking and being the same mindset as Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a doulos, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. God, the, the Lord, our master, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus himself, he showed us how to live as a doulos by getting down. He came down all the way from heaven and wrote himself into the story of our world. And then once he did that, he didn't even stop there because I was thinking Jesus could have come to earth as a human but still remained aloof. He could have been this kind of high and mighty emperor, but he wasn't, right? He came among us as a doulos. He served even those who, were, who would betray him, even those who would do, do him harm. John chapter 13 He's in that room for that last supper that we talked about a, few, a little while ago. And it says this, The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. 
So he got up from the meal, took off his outer garment, wrapped a towel around his waist, and after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now washing feet was a job of a slave or a lowly servant. But Jesus, not in spite of who he was, but because of who he was and who he knew himself to be, he got down and he did the humble work of a doulos. And this was a moment when Jesus forever redefined the concept of leadership for our world. He, he turned the world upside down, not from a throne, but from down on his knees, watch, washing stinky, nasty feet. There are many symbols of Christianity. There's the cross and the fish and the dove and the lion and the lamb and the anchor and the butterfly, the alpha and the, the omega, the donkey now is on that list. But today, I just brought, I think this is a great symbol for a doulos. It's just a raggedy old towel stained. This one's, I don't know that it's ever washed any grimy feet, but I, it has wiped up vomit, both human and feline, and it has done all manner of other dirty jobs. And it's a great symbol of the do-loss life. A couple of weeks ago when kicking off this series, Ben told a story about when I was a freshman in college and I faced sort of this choice, uh, this fraternity that was kind of recruiting me. They said, they looked at me in the eye and said, you need to be around people like you. And it was kind of this elitist message. And um, I knew that I was choosing between that or this Christian, this really great Christian community and uh, it was just this very clear moment for me where the fog of sort of temptation and flattery was lifted, and I was like, oh, yeah, no, this isn't right. I don't want to be a part of some little exclusive elitist thing. I want to be a part of the, of the kingdom and the people of God. And, and I grew up in church. I knew better, right? Well, here's a little follow-up to that story. Um, <clears throat> a couple weeks later, a little while later, I had gotten involved in that Christian community, and there was this guy named Ryan and he moved from out west somewhere, and he was very, very socially awkward, strange guy, um, and came, came to learn that a part of his story was not long before that. He had been one of those kids in school who was kind of an outcast, and so he sat with some other friends, and they used to talk a lot about weapons and violence and how much they hated their math teacher. And they would do things to scare other kids. And one day, one of his friends walked into the school and started shooting. And it was sort of one of the, the first of those uh, school shootings that we've seen so, so many of. And that math teacher died, and so did some other students, and now that friend of Ryan's is in prison for the rest of his life. And Ryan knew that though he didn't participate that day, he, 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 was, he very well could have been a part of that. One, one or two other things had gone differently in his life. And he came to college thinking, yeah, I didn't pull any triggers, but I... I think I'm still maybe a monster inside. And so he's moving into his freshman dorm and he says there's all these noisy Christians. And they're just helping people move in. And they're, there they are at their table. And uh, he said, matter of fact, I did want some lemonade and some cookies. And matter of fact, I did not have any plans for the football game or any pizza or any friends. So he said, I let them help me move in, and I went to their tailgate party, and I found these genuinely gentle and thoughtful and peaceful people who seemed to actually care about me as a person. 
He said, unlike what I expected, they didn't try to ram any doctrine down my throat. They didn't scold me for who I was or wasn't. He said, they wanted to know more about me. They gave me a Bible. I started reading about Jesus. I I really came to begin to respect this man, Jesus. On the story went for a couple weeks, and he said, one morning, I just got it. I was reading Psalm 139, and he says, I realize that God is a very practical, gentle, and helping kind of guy. And he loves me and he wants all of me. So a couple weeks after that, we're at a hotel pool at a retreat and Ryan is getting ready to get in the water and be baptized into faith in Jesus. And, I'm, and I don't know if this was strategic on the part of the campus minister or I just happened to be the one standing there. But he tossed me a towel. He said, come here. He said, stand here and give this to Ryan when he gets out of the pool. And so I did. Gave him a big hug. And I just remember that moment as being the opposite of what I felt in that frat house. And it was sort of the completion of that moment in a way, when I just knew that I was right in the middle of God's will and his goodness and his community. And today, Ryan is nobody any of you have ever heard of. But I'll tell you, he's a great husband, dad, friend. He's a man of love and peace and light where he works as an engineer. He is a due loss of Christ. And maybe it sounds silly to you, but I consider it one of the great honors of my life. And like a high, holy moment that I got to stand there and hold a towel for him on the day of his baptism. And I got thinking about that this week, and, and I just realized every single one of the memorable meaningful, significant spiritual moments of my life have come down to this. They happened when I was in the do-loss stance. I was not thinking about myself. My eyes were open. I was paying attention. I was placing myself among the koinonia community of, of God. And somebody, for some reason, offered me an opportunity to just pitch in and help. And for some reason, I said, yeah, sure, okay. And I helped however I could. And that is it. That's how it works. So here's the gospel message, and I'm convinced of this. I'm basing my life on this. If you want to be great, serve humbly. If you want to be free, make yourself a slave of the right master. That's it. So what about you? Let's do it. We're not going to sing another song today. I want to ask you all to stand up all campuses. This is our closing prayer and our benediction. Let's get down. Let's see a need and get over ourselves and grab a towel. Let's get going and serve somebody somewhere, somehow. I'm just going to finish by reading the rest of what Paul wrote in Philippians 2. Because Jesus humbled himself for us, he says, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, not only in my presence but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky 
as you hold firmly to the word of life. Amen. Go in peace and be a doulos this week.